0: Welcome to Kelly Drye's Full Spectrum podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Drye Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryefullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to Kelly Dry and Warren's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Steve Augustino, and with me today...
1: Hi, I'm Jenny Wainwright.
0: ...from the communications practice at Kelly Dry and Warren. We're happy today to present the latest in our series, Inside the TCPA. We're going to discuss today call blocking and call labeling services. So this is a little different from some of the things that we've discussed in our early earlier series. Uh, these provisions in this discussion doesn't come from the TCPA's obligations. That is, call blocking is not a requirement of the TCPA. Uh, there's no provisions that relate to that. Instead, this is an idea that furthers the goal of the TCPA, which is to eliminate illegal calls. And so we're going to talk about call blocking and, and what is happening with uh various call blocking techniques that have been proposed and implemented over the last couple of years. Um, We're going to start really just with just some basics on it. Call blocking, what we're talking about here are attempts, as I said, to reduce the number of illegal calls that are transmitted to consumers' phones. Some might say this is designed to reduce the number of unwanted calls to consumers' phones, which is a different concept, and maybe that is what consumers want want. That's not necessarily what the TCPA or what the FCC is aiming at here. Um, so call blocking, though, presents some interesting and potentially thorny issues both for the regulators and for the carriers themselves who are implemented this, as well, in addition, I should say, for the callers who are making these types of calls. So um, we're going to talk about all of those things. I want to start first. Um, Turning it over to Jenny, we're going to talk about um, activities the FCC has authorized common carriers to do.
1: Sure. So um, I think the big thing from the FCC perspective on call blocking is the order that they um, issued last year. It was last November. Um, The FCC adopted an order that authorized but does not require service providers to block um, specific types of calls that they concluded were likely to be highly illegal. There's some common threads among all these types of calls, um, specifically with regard to the fact that they're all types of spoofing, um, which is a term of art, so to speak. But um, And it's sort of gotten a bad rap. As of recently, there are certainly a number of legitimate reasons why a, the phone number that displays on a caller ID is not the actual number that's calling.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the commission, just as a aside, the commission goes to pains to point that out. And that's one of the things that does tend to get lost in this. There are many legitimate re- reasons to spoof a call. There are also many legitimate reasons to create a, to use a number which is local to the, co- the caller, or I'm sorry, local to the called party um, as presenting a, a local presence, etc. So that sometimes gets lost, as does the you know, the term robocall, we've talked about this before, right? Yep. That gets blasted out there as just sort of everything I don't like is a robocall, but sure. it really originally meant a prerecorded call. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about. Anymore.
1: Right, right. So, so this is all by way of background. I mean, so, but the order talks about four types of spoofed calls, um, again, using that sort of term of art. Um, what it does is the order actually builds upon some previous informal actions and statements by the FCC about carriers blocking certain types of calls. So, you know, going way back, there was this notion that carriers should never block calls. And there's a lot of history that goes into that that we won't get into today. Um, but
0: but they are common carriers. They're right. obligated to transmit messages without discrimination.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, and, and again, there's a whole history that <laughs> goes along with that. Um, but... In recent years, in recognition of this robocall problem, um, there has been this effort by the FCC to give the carriers some flexibility in certain circumstances. Again, and what this order does is it authorizes but does not require carriers to block certain types of calls. And there's four categories of calls. So the first one deals with um, do not originate requests. And that is a subscriber to a particular phone number calls up their common carrier and says, somebody is spoofing my phone number. Somebody is making it look like my business, my organization is calling consumers for fraudulent purposes. It's not me making the call. Therefore, I would like you, common carrier, to block calls that appear to be from that number.
0: Okay, so so basically, I never originate calls on this number, so don't put that number in the stream as an originating number. Right, right.
1: right. And so, you know, one of the well-known examples of this, um, a, a government example, was a couple years ago there was an IRS scam where consumers were getting millions and millions of calls, purporting to be from the IRS, very threatening calls saying you owe us money and we're going to come after you. And um, and so there was there were efforts to step in and stop that scam. This is a similar concept, um, primarily focusing on private enterprise. So allowing again a private subscriber to a phone number to say, "I don't want you carrier to transmit numbers that purport to be from this number." Right. So
0: now, now this is pretty drastic because, of course, no calls would then be originated with that number. Even if you were actually using your number for outbound calls, you couldn't. Select this option.
1: Correct. Yeah. And 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 that was one of the things. So that there are two specific criteria that have to be satisfied. One, as you mentioned, is that the number has to be used for inbound calls only, and the subscriber has to authorize those calls to be blocked. So that's one category that carriers again are authorized, but not required to block under this order. The second category is calls from invalid numbers. Um, Most consumers have seen these, I think, in one context or another. These are numbers that really cannot be legitimate for various reasons. So um, a number that uses an area code 911, probably not legitimate. (laughs) Um, A a phone number, again, if it appears on your caller ID, it has more or less than 10 digits. Um, Or a phone number that appears on your caller ID and it has 10 Of the same digits think 10 zeros in a row
0: right or one two three four five six seven eight nine zero right Right. those are not legitimate north american numbering plan numbers
1: yep exactly um so the third category that the fcc again authorized but does not require carriers to block is calls from unallocated numbers these are legitimate phone numbers but they have not been um assigned, so to speak, to any particular common carrier. They're just sitting in a numbering pool waiting to be assigned. So there is no reason that these numbers should be originating any calls because there's no carrier <laughs> to send them out to anyone. <laughs> so so that's another one.
0: No carrier, no customer. So they're, right. they're clearly invalid. Calls. Right. And then right. take
1: that one step further. The fourth category of calls um, is calls from unassigned numbers. These are numbers that have been delegated out to a carrier, but the carrier has not assigned them to an end-user customer. So again, there's just no base, no legitimate basis from the FCC's perspective for why these numbers should be originating calls. So that's what the FCC did almost a year ago at this point. So um, I think we're still kind of feeling out the impacts of that, and I'll, I'll let you talk about, yeah, well, you know, uh, what we can expect, but...
0: <laughs> I was going to say, at, at the time, many people noted, that this is intended to block spoofing calls and clearly invalid types of spoofing. Um, Virtually everybody supported that. And I think it's good that the commission does outlaw these or permit carriers to block these types of things, because they really don't have a legitimate purpose, these four categories. But they're fairly narrow, right? This doesn't necessarily mean it's an unwanted call or or anything else. There can still be unwanted or illegal calls that come through that use valid numbers.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: In addition, the expectation was that those, you know, the quote-unquote bad guys, the really bad scammers who are doing this could fairly easily shift away from this and instead of assigning an invalid number, go to the trouble to make sure that they have a number that is valid and then they can continue their scam that way. Most likely, the expectation was that they would rotate numbers and use numbers um, very briefly but multiple numbers over time on that. So so I'm curi- kind of curious, do we have any data yet on what's been blocked in the roughly year or so since then?
1: So um, I don't have specific data related to the impact of the call blocking order, but um, in the FCC's ongoing proceeding to address call blocking issues. There were comments filed recently that I know we're going to talk about a little bit more in detail later, Um, but there were a couple of points made about the big carriers and what they've done, and one statistic that stuck out in particular was um, AT&T, and according to, um, I believe it was CTIA in their comments, um, they cited to the fact that between October 2016 and I think it was March of 2018, um, at and had blocked approximately 3.9 billion calls. Um, and so it's tough to say how much of that is related to the FCC's order. Because again, if you're going back to October 2016, that's more than a year before the call blocking order. And again, there had been some informal um, statements by the FCC suggesting that carriers could have some flexibility in call blocking prior to the order. So, it's again, it's tough to say. Um, but that figure is, you know, fairly staggering. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> so, it's a lot.
0: But ATT is pretty big, right? We true. don't know what like, percentage of calls it <laughs> is for AT&T. But, uh, but still, it's the bottom line is it's having an effect. Um, again, if only it caused the, quote-unquote, bad guys to change their methods um, to ones that are at least in theory traceable, That's a good thing, even if it doesn't yield to blocking of calls or yield an actual decrease in the number of illegal calls being received at the time.
1: Right. Well, and and to your point about the bad guys, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing discussion about how do you regulate and how do you address this issue? Because anytime the regulators or lawmakers or private industry comes up with a solution, the response could be that the bad guys innovate, so to speak, and they figure out a new way to get around whatever um, blocks have been put in place. So it is a continuing discussion and problem, and and you know one that will likely require some sort of holistic approach. And we'll just have to see where things shake out. It, but I'm getting ahead that, of myself. It's, <laughs> it's that con-
0: you're right. No, it's that constant back and forth. It, it's like the old spy versus spy in in Mad Magazine. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so, so that's blocking by the carriers. The, in addition, though, one of the things that has developed over the last couple of years and without any regulation has been a series of private call blocking solutions as well. Um, that is, consumers now have at their disposal a number of services that will block certain types of calls for the consumer. Um, and, and these you know, are a number of different services out there. Among the best known are... Um, Nomo Robo, which won an FTC uh, competition on that—that that works with VoIP phones and, and certain types of phones. Um, Haya and Umail are probably the other two largest ones, or at least the ones that get the most attention at this point. These are opted in by consumers. These companies have their own algorithms for what, how they identify what is an illegal call or an unwanted call. That might be as far as they go. You never know for sure. Um, and they do prevent the calls from being completed to the consumers. They work in slightly different ways, and there are settings on this. So on on mail you can set it to send it directly to your voicemail, and they'll analyze it there. You can set it to block everything. Um, these are probably most used on your mobile phones, but they're, they're certainly available on, on other types of phones as well. So you know, we're seeing that as kind of self-help by the consumers to, to go out at this. Um, in addition, um, what we've seen here is um, I want to talk a little bit about what some of the wireless carriers have done themselves and started offering services to their own consumers. Um, this, again, it's generated without any um, any FCC regulation. There's no FCC obligation that comes from this. Um, and and this is actually slightly different from the other types of situations, even the private call blocking situations, actually block and prevent a call from coming forward. Right. Um, what we're seeing now, T- T-Mobile has rolled this out, Verizon has rolled this out, AT&T, Sprint, all of the carriers have this at this point. It is a solution Fueled by an analytics provider um, who will take data from the FCC, from the FTC about um, illegal calls and call complaints, takes volume data, et cetera, and they work out their own algorithms for what types of calls there are out there. Um, And what's different though is they don't block the call, but as they deliver the call, they provide an additional information for the consumer. They provide a label. Um, And the most concerning of this is they provide labels like scam likely or spam or nuisance likely. So they classify and categorize the call. Um, now, the idea of this came from the the uh, industry uh, robocall blocking effort. Um, it's now been implemented, and we are seeing very large companies that are doing this for all of these carriers. Um you know, I I don't know, Jenny, if, if you've received this on your own personal phone, but you know, when I get it, um, my screen turns red, kind of okay. like warning sign. It doesn't doesn't have the urgent eh, eh, <laughs> eh, type thing, but you know, it's almost that bad. Um, and so they tell me this is probably a bad call. It gives me an immediate option to block it if I want to. Mm, so interesting. Um,
1: yeah, mine is not that extreme. Mine, um, my carrier, it's it's call labeling, and I get calls almost daily, which is embarrassing, (laughs) um, that are labeled telemarketer. And what I do is I ignore them, but then I have to go back into the call log and I block those callers. But, um, you You know. You should
0: answer this. Those could be things you want. (laughs) They could be. I mean, (laughs) that's one of the things, right? Telemarketing is not bad in in inherently, you know, it's not inherently bad. Very true. Um, As people talk about advertising, you don't like advertising for things that you don't like, right? But advertising for the car when you're about to buy a car is Pretty useful to you, so um, you know that's one of the issues with the labeling is that the the labels are kind of really broad and maybe not necessarily helpful to the consumer. Yeah, I guess
1: that's true. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the only label I have ever seen on my with my call labeling service is telemarketer. Um, so you know, perhaps that's too broad of a brush to paint. Um,
0: so 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 where the pushback is on this? So what we're seeing now is. Um, there is concern that these efforts are overbroad or are um, erroneously labeling calls. If I'm a caller and it's not a telemarketing call, but it's actually a service reminder, you know, I'm, you know, your your prescription is ready, or calling you about your doctor's appointment, or that sort of thing, and it gets labeled as telemarketing, you may not actually accept it then, and so you may not get that message, and that's the concern out there that a lot of people have, not just the callers uh, on this, but if you're overly uh, or improperly classifying calls, then this can create an issue. And so there have been a series of meetings uh, among the industry to try to address this and to try to create some kind of of a feedback opportunity. I think I've been in five or six meetings organized by two or three different Entities at this point to try to bring people together to figure out the issues on how to make sure that the labels are as accurate as possible.
1: Sure, and and you know even though this is a private industry led effort, um, it is something that the FCC is aware of. So um, going back to the 2017 order, Commissioner O'Reilly in particular, and I think Commissioner Clyburn touched on this as well. Um, they had talked about concerns about. Overblocking, so to speak, or over-labeling? And how do you address that issue? So um, I think that I'm sure that's part of the, the conversations that you've been sitting in on is if you are a legitimate business and you are placing calls and you somehow learn, or maybe you don't learn, uh, that your calls are not getting through, um, you know, what should be the obligation on the part of the private parties that are doing the labeling, that are doing the blocking, to notify somebody, say, hey, your number (laughs) has been identified as potentially suspicious or whatever you want to call it. Um, How do you notify those companies? Do you have an obligation to notify them? And then what do you do? What opportunity should those companies be given to dispute that designation and get back on the good side, so to speak.
0: Right. And, and to their credit, people uh, in, in these industry meetings, everybody wants to try and get this right. Uh, and they want to, the analytics companies want to receive information from those who are calling. Um, one of the kind of interesting situations that I've seen in this is that your the calls can be blocked. They're blocked by number right now, not necessarily origin point. Mm-hmm. And so if a third party is spoofing your number... That could increase the value. The volume could increase the negative scores and result in labeling or potentially even blocking from these services for something that was a temporary activity done by a third party. Hmm. Um, so, people are trying to figure out how to make that work. And and what I could say now is, if you're in the call uh, stream and you're not thinking about or participating in these efforts, you should be because this is something that, that impacts people. Um, so, so those are three major things that are happening now, uh, right? The FCC-authorized call blocking, private call blocking, and some of the call labeling things. And, and I'd love to spend more time talking about labeling, but we do need to, to go and talk about some of the other things as well. So um, the last thing I think we want to cover here is that the FCC a month or so ago asked parties to refresh its record in the call blocking and they were really saying you know what have we done right how is it impacting things and what are we what should we be doing in addition to that and what and I,
1: data can you provide to us i mean right. that was one of the things that they asked for was was data from the carriers and others
0: Right. Yeah. I think getting reliable data and putting it in context is going to be a a real challenge. But I want to talk just briefly about a couple of the suggestions that have come in on what the commission should be doing or what parties should be doing. And and Jenny, I'll I'll let you start.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's interesting for an issue where everyone agrees that there is a problem of some kind, (laughs) whether, you know, there can be discussion about the scope and, and all kinds of issues related to that. But it is interesting to see this sort of consistency in that industry, so to speak, seems to end up on one side and consumers end up on the other. So I'm going to touch on industry and I'll let you talk about sort of where the consumer advocates are are coming at it. But again, everybody recognizes that there's a problem and I think there is a common goal. The question is just where are we in the process and where do we go from here? So um, in terms of the industry perspective, um, the comments that came in, and I'm going to focus in particular on CTIA and U.S. Telecom only because they are organizations that are more representative of the industry as opposed to individual companies. Um, but they paint um, seemingly a pretty pretty rosy picture about um, you know what's been going on and, and where things stand. Um, and rightfully so. I think there has been some progress made. Um, but there are a couple of sort of common themes that CTIA and, and U.S. Telecom raise. The first one being that the way to address this problem is a holistic approach. Um, you've got to have the industry involved. You have to have regulators and enforcement as part of the solution. Um, I think U.S. Telecom said in their comments, there's no silver bullet for this problem, right? Um, and so in terms of what the carriers have done, they – again, they tout these private call blocking solutions. They talk about what the – carrier. In particular, they talk about the carriers and their call labeling, their call blocking, um, and you know right. they're, how they're those have options been...
0: and con- their, uh, options to, and choices to consumers. Right, definitely.
1: exactly. No, and and CTA also touched on consumer education and how essential that is. They talk about all the resources that they have available, where consumers can go to their website and look up. The hundreds of options I think both CTA and U.S. Telecom talk about that there are now 500-plus private solutions that are either call blocking or call labeling available to consumers, and that that encompasses both the private parties, the the apps, um, as well as the carriers. Um, And so um, the other thing that they talk about in terms of industry effort is uh, Shake and stir which I don't want to get into because <laughs> it's-
0: That'll it's, be our next Inside the TCPA, <laughs> shake and high, Highly yeah. technical, but it,
1: is, but it is a call authentication framework that the industry has been working on for the last couple of years. So they sort of talk about where that stands. And I think that there's a consensus that everyone's leaning towards 2019 is when that's really going to be rolled out. Um, and then the last thing that they talked about um, that both of them mentioned, which is kind of interesting, is they both encouraged criminal enforcement against robocallers, um, because from their perspective, many of the bad actors, the ones that are really causing the problem, are likely violating various fraud statutes. So they encourage the FCC to partner with um, their fellow regulators, the Department of Justice, um, I think Department of Treasury, anyone who has criminal enforcement authority, to bring those types of actions.
0: Right, right. So, I mean, we, we've seen proposed fines and, you know, but they're few and far between, even though they're very large. So the suggestion is that you need to beef those up um, by adding criminal enforcement against the individuals who are, are perpetrating this. And and that will, th- their idea is that's what's going to reduce this, right? So, so I'm going to talk just a little bit about some of the suggestions that the consumer groups have had, and they filed joint comments uh, on this. Um, and so you know, they really sort of spoke with a single voice. I don't know whether in the end there really are any variations in what's looking there. But what what's different is that um, the consumer groups um, are really suggesting the FCC needs to add a level of urgency to this, that they need to be a much more active and proactive on on addressing these things. So what the consumer groups are suggesting is that the FCC needs to step into this and really try to address it. And the first thing that they propose is that the FCC gather meaningful, useful data. And they propose that by, uh, they propose to do that by requiring carriers to report data. Um, They don't, address the potential costs of this. The ca- carriers and the industry community really didn't address what costs that may impose to try to get that data on the record and how you would count it. Um, in the past, when the FCC's tried to do this with um, business data services sold special access um, or even rural call completion, it's proven to be really, really difficult. But that's that's the first step, right? You gotta You have to have data on what you're trying to fix to know whether or not you're addressing it. Um, secondly, uh, they want the FCC to mandate blocking services um, and mandate free blocking services. Um, so it, it appears from their comments that they want something broader than just the four categories that the FCC had identified, um, something along the lines of the private call blocking services that allow the consumers to identify types of things and allow certain use of algorithms to identify likely or, or uh, potentially nuisance-type calls. Um, and then the the third thing that they suggest is that the FCC creates some um, disincentives for sending the types of calls that um, are generating the most complaints at this point. So they suggest that the FCC impose fees um, uh, on carriers for short-duration calls or calls with a high abandonment rate. Um, I'm honestly not sure how that would be implemented, and they don't spend time explaining how that would be implemented, but you can see the thrust there. The idea is let's make it painful and difficult to send and originate these types of calls, and that will lead to a reduction in those calls themselves. So um, those are really the three main things that that they had suggested. Uh, this was just a refresh of the record, so we don't know. What if any of this has any resonance with the FCC? It will um, take a little while for us to see that. Um, We are sitting here in early September as we record this. I do expect the FCC to address TCPA issues before the end of the year. Um, I don't know if they're going to address call blocking or call labeling as part of that. They have a laundry list of things they do have to address from the ACA International case on that revamp, uh, subject of some of our earlier podcasts on this. So, um, you know, we will have more to talk about. We will see more there. uh, But I'm not sure at this point whether call blocking or even call labeling is going to be a part of that next round of what the FCC addresses.
1: But to to the point you made earlier, these proceedings are still open. So parties that have a potential interest in this area, which is a pretty broad swath, uh, you know, can and and should make their their perspectives and their opinions known. Again, the more information the FCC has, the better informed their decisions are,
0: so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and with that, we're going to let that be the last comment on this. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy this Inside the TCPA series. We will continue this. If you missed any of our earlier ones, please go back and look us up and and, uh, check those out. But for now, that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.